Good morning, Pathway Church. Welcome to you folks online. We're so glad that you're here this morning. We're in week two of our series of healing choices, eight of them found in Matthew chapter 5, those first eight verses of uh, chapter 5, sometimes called the Beatitudes. And uh, these eight choices, as we look at them each week, can bring us a place of hope and healing and can bring us to a place of purpose in our lives that, that God has for us. If you recall, last week we did the first choice, the reality choice, blessed or happy are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And last week in our reality check, we discovered that I am not God and neither are you. Uh, if I'm going to find God's purpose and plan in my life, I must come to the place where I recognize I can't manage my own life. It's unmanageable for me. I can't keep all the plates in the air all the time. Sometimes they're going to come crashing down. Now, some of you have a vision of these eight weeks, and it's more like a nightmare than a vision. You're thinking, okay, for eight weeks, the preacher's going to tell me what's wrong with me. You know, and, and it's kind of uh, not exactly exciting. It's kind of like going to the dentist. I had to go to the dentist this week. And uh, some of my best friends are dentists. But I really don't like to go to the dentist. Because when you think about it, it's really a strange place. Uh, you walk in and to get rid of your pain, they make you open your mouth and they shoot you with this big, huge needle about this long. You know? And, and uh, it takes forever for it and, you know, to get numb. And, and then uh, they ask you if you're numb and you can't talk because your, your tongue is numb. And then they have this whole thing of, of instruments beside the chair, and it's kind of like, I might use all of these on you. And then for about an hour and a half, you have your mouth as wide open as you can possibly get it, and the dentist is just carrying on a conversation and talking to you, and, you know, what are you supposed to do? It's kind of a tough thing. So, so it's strange to be in a dentist's office, uh, and yet uh, it's a necessary thing that, that we have to go through. It's not my favorite place. And there are some people that tell me that they fall asleep in the dentist's office. If you fall asleep in a dentist's office, you're some kind of sick. Something's, <laughs> something's wrong. <laughs> uh, I just want to get through it. You know, I just want to get it over with. And, and some of you may kind of have that approach to, to this eight weeks. I, I just want to get through this. He's going to want to fix me. I don't want to be fixed. I kind of like where I'm at. I'm okay with my life. I don't want anything to happen. Uh, well, I want to give you a second image besides the dentist office this morning. I would like for you to think about a prison cell with the door swung open. And perhaps for the first time in your life, you're free. Life's hurts and disappointments and hang-ups and failures and brokenness have built four walls around your heart. And you're kind of locked up and unable to become that person that God really wants you to become. So this series is really about setting us free. In these eight weeks, you can realize that you can be free. You can be free of old habits. You can be free of bitterness. You can be free to offer forgiveness and receive forgiveness. You can be free to let go of some painful pasts that many of us carry. Okay, let's move on to today's lesson. It's found in Matthew chapter 5, verse 4. Blessed or happy are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. The second choice is the hope choice. 
It's a choice to believe that God exists, that we matter to him, and he has the power, not just the power, he has the desire to change my life. He's willing to change my life. He's willing to change your life. If you're honest, most of us do not put mourning and comfort and hope in the same sentence. And it doesn't seem to work together. Comfort and hope are something we, we long for, we'd like to have. Mourning is something we try to avoid, if possible. When we think of mourning, we think of feeling bad and, and sad. Most of us try to avoid those feelings. Some of you don't want to talk about painful things and sad things in your life. If you can possibly avoid thinking about them, you will avoid thinking about them. In fact, we try to get to our bad feelings as quickly as possible. And that's sometimes uh, not a good thing because mourning leads to God's comfort and hope. I have a confession to make. I do not like to read manuals. When I get something new, I just want to use it. You know, I don't want to go through all that stuff of, you know, all the, how to put it together or how it works. And, you know, I, I just don't do that, you know. And much to the chagrin of my grandkids, they look at my iPhone, they say, Poppy, you could do so much more with that phone than you do, you know. I just call on it. It works, you know. But uh, before we started this two-year adventure from Florida to Indiana and then back to Florida, and, uh, you know, we got rid of one of our cars because it was pretty old. I'd had it for a long time. It had like 13 years. And I was afraid if it set for a year, it wouldn't be in good shape. But it was my favorite car, 2003 Infiniti, sports car, loved it, great car. But uh, I drove it most of the time, and then, and then Brenda would drive it sometimes. And I'd gone to the office, and she called me, and she said, I can't get the gas cap open. I said, well, Brenda, it, you just push on the little white thing there, and it'll pop open, and you unscrew the because 99% of the time, I fill up both of our cars. Brenda doesn't put gas in very often. And on this particular occasion, she was out of gas, and she had to do it. And so she called me, and, and I said, I told her what to do, and she called me back. She said, okay, that didn't work. And I got two people who were filling their cars up, two men. She wanted to make sure that, you know, it wasn't just other women. Two men tried to get it open, and they couldn't get it open. So I was a little aggravated and pretty frustrated, so I said, okay, I'll be there got in my car and drove over, walked over and said, this is how it works. Hit that thing and it didn't open. Well, I was getting ready to call Mitch at Special Forces. We had a, a guy that had a, a, a car repair place called Special Forces. And I'm thinking, I better call Mitch. But before I call Mitch, I called Austin, the guy who sold me the car. And when I called him and told him the problem, he goes, Steve, you didn't read the manual, did you? And I said, well, no, but... He goes, well, if you'd read the manual, if the doors are locked, the gas cap door is locked. Well, I never locked the doors, but Brenda does. Hit unlock, the thing popped open, and I was really glad I didn't call Mitch. <laughs> I share that story because many of us want God to make things quick and easy for us, and we don't want to read the manual. We don't want to read the manual. Remember the scripture I shared last week in Jeremiah? Uh, one translation says, I know, O Lord, that a man's life is not his own. It's not for man alone to direct his steps. God's path 
to comfort and hope. Takes us to mourning, and that doesn't make sense to you. But it's not our call. Because what? We are not God. Say that with me. We are not God. In case you forgot from last week, you're, you're not God. Hate to break that to you. We try to mask our pain through alcohol and drugs. We watch endless hours of television. We have pity parties with a lot of chocolate and tears. We comfort ourselves with food. And all of those attempts have one common thread, escape. And the escape is very temporary. The comfort we're talking about today is is much bigger than our failed attempts. And it doesn't last for a little while, it, it lasts forever. I love this prayer that was written by Tom Holliday on this particular verse of Scripture. He says, Lord, I don't want to mourn, but I do want to be comforted. And more often than I want to admit, mourning is the only path to comfort. Admitting what I don't have, admitting what I've lost, admitting what is not there is the only path to realize what I do have is in God and what he can give when no one else can give it. So how do I find this path to God's comfort and hope? Well, the first step is I must see God as he really is, not as I would like for him to be, not what others tell me he is, but as he really is. I meet people all the time, and they have a certain idea about God, and and I have a certain idea about God, and they say, well, let's just get along, you know, and uh, and it sounds really tolerant, but it kind of misses the point. We are not God, so... How do we know what God's like? C.S. Lewis was an atheist, and he was attempting to disprove God. And to disprove God, he read the manual. And as he was reading the manual, the question that kept coming to him was, where did we get this concept of a loving, gracious, forgiving God? I mean, look at the world we live in. Look at all the hatred and all the stuff that goes on among all the sinfulness and all the brokenness. Where do we get this idea that God is gracious and forgiving. And he determined that through the manual that it must be through revelation. So how do I trust God? How do I know that, that God, if I share my heart with him, won't just reject me? Well, Paul addresses this question in the manual in Romans 8, 34. Who then will condemn us? Will Christ? No. For he is the one who died for us and came back to life again for us and is sitting in the place of highest honor next to God, pleading for us there in heaven. That's quite a scene, isn't it? Sitting in this place of highest honor, pleading for us there in heaven. Your feelings and your thoughts may be telling you something about God. But what I think about God can be totally wrong. And you could be totally wrong about that too. But God's word tells us some specific truths about who he is. Tells us that Jesus lived his life for you. Jesus died for you. Jesus was resurrected to tell you that he did not come to condemn us, but to save us. God wanted you to know who he was. And so he sent his son to walk among us. 
So what is God like according to Jesus and according to his word, the manual? It tells us in Psalm 86 that he's a God of compassion. But you, O Lord, are a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. He's compassionate about your hurts. It says in 2 Corinthians, God's a God of mercy, God our merciful Father, and the source of all comfort. Yet God is not a weak God. He designs and directs our lives and our journey because the way is not in us. It's in Him. So it begins by acknowledging who God is, and then it's important that our next step is to look in the mirror. Robert Morley says that each person must be the person, the man or the woman that looks in the mirror and know who we really are. Who are we? Well, I'm broken. It tells us in Romans 3 that for all have sinned, all fall short of God's glorious standards. Henry Nowen says it this way, we're all wounded healers. We're all broken. Luke 12, 2 in the message says, you can't keep your true self hidden forever, even if we wear a mask. Before long, you'll be exposed. You can't hide behind a religious mask forever. Sooner or later, the mask will slip and your true face will be known. All of us have a story of brokenness, don't we? The first 25 years of my ministry, uh, we had a service on Sunday morning, most of the time two services, and then we had a Sunday night service. Now, if you know anything about the history of Sunday night services, it started in America a little over 100 years ago because the farmers had to work on Sunday morning. And so on Sunday evening, that's when they showed up at church. And so all the wives wanted to get their husbands saved. So the Sunday night service was usually an evangelistic sermon that you would preach on Sunday night. Well, that changed. You know, we had less and less farmers in church, more and more people working in factories. And the people who came on Sunday night usually were the saints who came anytime the doors of the church were open. And so I struggled really hard, and it was really hard, to get the sermon for Sunday morning. And then I had to turn around and preach on Sunday night, and I didn't know what I was going to say a lot of the times, and it wasn't the best stuff, I can promise you that. I'd look back at some of the... Matter of fact, when I retired, I threw away a thousand sermons. I thought, man, I can't believe those people didn't listen to that. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't that good. Don't tell me about today. <laughs> it wasn't that good. So I, I'm, I'm going through that, and uh, so I thought, well, what can we do on Sunday night to kind of make it easier for me, to be honest. I thought, I'll have people tell their stories, you know, just share their story of what Christ has meant in their life. And, and I'll start with some of my best people, so it'll be really good. So the first guy to speak was Greg, and he was chairman of my board. And he got up to speak, and the first thing he said was, when I was in prison, you go, uh-oh. <laughs> I mean, this guy owned an electric company, had 40 people working for him. He was the chairman of my board. When I was in prison, he stole a car when he was 16 years old and spent a year in juvenile. I thought, okay, that was, we got through that. The next week, I, I knew I was okay because this guy was, was the head of the Army Reserve. He and his wife sit on the front row every Sunday. Great, great guy. He gets up and he goes, my first wife. I go, wait a minute. <laughs> I thought that was his first wife, <laughs> you know. And he wanted to explain that he felt called to ministry. He was studying at Asbury Seminary, and his first wife left him because she didn't want to go into ministry, you know. 
And as they shared their stories, all of a sudden I realized, you know what? We're all broken, aren't we? We all have broken stories, but we're also loved. I love what Jeremiah 31 says. I have loved you with a temporary love. No, an everlasting love. I've drawn you with loving kindness. We deserve hell, but we're offered heaven. We who walk the path of pain and brokenness are offered the path of hope and peace. Romans 3 says, God in his gracious kindness declares us not guilty. Isn't that great? Declares us not guilty. He has done this through Christ Jesus, who has freed us by taking away our sins. The foundational choice of our healing choices is simply this. We are not God, we are broken, and we are loved. And that foundation, if you don't get that right, nothing else is going to happen right in your life. The building will not stand. The choice begins with a relationship with God through His Son, Jesus Christ. The path to God means we must feel worse before we feel better, you know? We must confess. Who wants to tell about their sordid past, you know? We must confess so that God can forgive us of our sins. There's nothing we can do to receive that forgiveness. It's a gift that he gives us. You know that. You can pray right now. You don't even have to close your eyes. God, I I need your forgiveness. I, I confess that I need you in my life not just as an add-on in my life, but to be the Lord and leader of my life. I invite you to enter my heart and to rearrange the furniture and the priorities of my life. That's a dangerous prayer, isn't it? Yeah. To rearrange the furniture of my life. As you pray that prayer, you receive the amazing love of God. Now, some of you have prayed that prayer and it was a little, you modified it a little bit. God, I want you in my life, but I don't want you messing with the furniture. I don't want you messing with the priorities. You know, I'll come on Sunday and you and I'll be buddies and, and that's how it's going to be. Well, that robs you of God's joy and peace and comfort. And Maybe you need to say, God, we need to change that arrangement. I know it's not easy. We don't like the morning part. None of us do. We don't like to feel bad, but it's God's path to healing and wholeness. And the third thing that has to happen for us to find this path of comfort and healing and wholeness is you must catch a vision. I love this definition of a vision, a clear mental image of a preferable future, a clear mental image of a preferable future of how God can change your life. Some of you are saying, I've tried this before, and I end up going right back where I was before. I don't have the power to change. And you are absolutely right. You don't have the power. I don't care how much willpower you have or how disciplined you are. But God can change you. It's his power and his hope that rearranges our lives and changes our purpose. I, I love this passage in Isaiah 40. Have you never heard or understood don't you know that the lord is the everlasting god the creator of the earth he never faints nor grows weary 
No one can measure the depths of his understanding. He gives power to those who are tired and worn out. He offers strength to the weak. Even youth will become exhausted and young men will give up. But those who wait on the Lord will find new strength. They will fly high on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. It's not up to you to change your life. You can't do that. It's up to you to accept God's power that he makes available to you every moment. I love what it says in Philippians 2. For it is God who is at work within you, giving you the will and the power to achieve his purpose. Even if you don't have the will to do it, he'll give you the will and the power to achieve his purpose. I want to give you a picture of Isaiah 40. I don't know how much you know about eagles, but eagles uh, usually build their nests high in trees or on cliffs. And they're amazing nests. They are so comfy. They put all kinds of feathers in them, and they put all kinds of leaves. They just make it so nice for the little eaglets. It's just, just wonderful. Then at some point in the process, mom goes crazy, and she starts throwing all the feathers out and all the leaves out and leaves this real thorny, tough-looking nest for the babies to be in. And then she really goes crazy, and those scared little eaglets, she pushes them out of the nest, and they go skydiving toward the ground from way up high. And they're flapping their wings like crazy. And suddenly, they catch a draft. And they soar on wings like eagles. God has designed your soul to catch the updraft of his love. The path to that love takes us through regrets and mourning and pain. But if we trust him. He has the power to lift us up. That's what he will do for each of us this morning as we listen to his voice and take that step towards him. Perhaps this morning you're mourning over opportunities, precious moments that you squandered, moments that you wasted, and you're having trouble putting mourning and hope and comfort together in the same sentence. I understand that. I want you to understand that God's grace is bigger than any storm that you're going through, bigger than any sorrow that you're feeling. You see, we can trust God to even use our broken story to change the world, to change our world. Craig Rochelle is pastor of one of the largest churches in the United States. It's in Oklahoma City, but it has campuses all over the city and even in some other states. And Craig's story is an interesting one. When he was an associate pastor his first year, the elders called him in and told him, "Uh, Craig, you're a nice guy, but we don't think that you have what it takes to be a pastor. Well, somebody was wrong because he's pastoring one of the largest churches in America. And Craig shares the story of Chris and Cindy Beal. Chris and Cindy had just come on staff. Chris was the worship pastor. And after six weeks, they discovered that Chris had had multiple affairs. Everyone was devastated, including Cindy, who had no idea. 
Craig met with Chris, and he told him the decision he made in the next few moments would alter his life forever in more ways than he could begin to understand. He could continue to lie and deceive, or he could come clean. He could confess his sin, cry out to God, seek his help and forgiveness, and maybe be able to save his marriage and his life. And for the next couple of hours, he made the right choice, which was the most difficult choice. Isn't it funny how the right choice often is the most difficult choice? And he just took a deep breath and started talking, and he vomited out all the deceit and sin and brokenness and lies in his life. And finally he said, that's it. That's my story. And I hate every part of it. Then Pastor Craig did something rather amazing. He said, and this is the moment that your story starts to change. What once was will be no more. God will give you a new story. And Craig explained to Chris the Greek word shubi. The Greek word shubi actually means and can be translated to restore or to make better than new. And he goes, I want you to claim that word for your marriage, Chris. And they prayed, and the journey began. Now, it wasn't easy. It wasn't over. For months, they went to counseling. For months, there was confession and regret and pain and sorrow and tears and tears and tears. And finally, after a couple of years, the marriage became solid again. And they, uh, the church did something unusual. They rehired Chris, not as a pastor, but at an entry-level position. And over the next few years, he proved himself a truly changed man. And his gifts were great, and he became a, a head pastor over one of their campuses and finally he was over several campuses and he recently preached and told his painful story again he closes by talking about shuby the word he learned from craig many years ago chris rejoiced that a story that once was darkness is now full of light and joy What the enemy meant for evil, God took and changed it and rewrote the story. He can do the same thing for your story and for my story. We must trust him enough to follow. He's the God of grace who restores brokenness and uses weakness and mourning and storms for his purpose and for his glory. I find that amazing. Through the storm, if you're in the midst of mourning, if you're in the midst of sadness, I invite you to invite God to bring his hope into your heart. Touch his hand, fill his scars, and follow him. Throw yourself on his mercy 
And he will pick you up and hold you close to his heart and place you at the table, a place that you do not deserve, but a place that he has reserved for you. Would you pray with me? Lord, we come today with nothing to offer but a life totally dependent on you. We're lost in the storm. We're overwhelmed by life. We don't know the way home. We don't deserve your grace. But we come this morning asking for hope. We come asking that you would make a way when there seems to be no way. We come asking that you would forgive us and love us and hold us close. Lord, we believe that you can take the broken pieces of our lives and make them better than we ever dreamed possible. We pray this prayer, this sincere, simple prayer, in the powerful name of Jesus. Belongs to you, Lord. I'm gonna say a victory. 
significance that we can find in life and meaning in life than you, Jesus. So as we find ourselves in so many different situations, if we paraded across this platform, all of us could tell our testimony about where we are and, and what you're doing right now in our lives. And some of us are very frightened, fearful, alone, desperate. So many things could be happening right now. Some of us feel that victory right now, God. We feel that victory in our lives, but some need it. 
And so, Lord, bring that victory. Show us who you are and what you've already accomplished. Show us what you've already, remind us of what you've already done in us. And give us that, not the spirit of timidity, but of power and of sound mind. Lord, that's only found in you. So, Lord, as we face our personal struggles, the struggles we have as a nation, everything else that's going on, Lord, bring that spirit of power. Bring that victory in our lives, Lord. We love you, and we'll give you all of the glory and all of the credit and all of the praise for that victory, Lord, that you've already achieved. That that tomb is empty. (laughs) You have the victory, Lord, over sin, death, hell, and the grave. You have the victory. Lord, may we live it. May we live it in Christ's name. Amen. Praise his name again, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. God bless you, church.